Hello, everyone, and welcome to this latest episode of the podcast. My name is Richard Bryant, and I am your host. It's April 26th, 2020. This is the Corona Chronicles, Day 45. Here are today's news and notes. From the Theater Times, The magic is in the miniature. Toy theater thrives online during quarantine. This was posted by Marissa C. Hayes out of New York and is part of the Puppetry Review, Theater and Art, Transcultural Collaborations, United States. In its simplest form, the proscenium is constructed of little more than cardboard. Small paper figures and objects come to life via slots, rods, or other humble mechanics. But these modest means should not be mistaken for lack of ingenuity. To the contrary, contemporary toy theater artists show no shortage of poetic invention, repurposing an array of everyday materials to create hybrid environments, storytelling, and movement. True to the etymology of the word microcosm, little world, these productions create an alchemy of scale, transforming the way we experience performance through the toy theater's intimate proportions. Great Small Works, a New York-based performance collective, recently organized the first virtual toy theater festival, providing an online platform for international artists who responded to an open call. Drawing on the work as artists and curators, the collective initiated the International Toy Theater Festival and Temporary Toy Theater Museum from 1993 to 2013. The event was streamed live in early April from their Facebook page. Hosted by Great Small Works puppeteer John Bell, the organizers merged Zoom and Facebook technologies to share short plays, toy theater demonstrations, and films from Germany, Canada, Chile, China, Mexico, and the United States. Most artists proposed some variations of the proscenium arch crafted in paper or wood, while a few expanded upon toy theater's format to create puppet films or two-dimensional animation, all embraced by the festival's open definition of the genre. With half the world now living under quarantine, the exponential rise in performance streaming options has left the public divided. Some relish the accessibility, while others mourn the live experience. Yet, in the case of toy theater, the online exhibition format is a natural extension of the genre's intimate appeal. The festival's tagline, coming to a personal screen near you, recalls toy theater's roots as a form of home-based entertainment that traces its history to early 19th century Europe. In England, affordable printed sheets and condensed scripts based on popular plays and pantomimes were sold to young audiences as souvenirs, allowing them to create performances at home. Toy theater was popularized in other regions of Europe, particularly in Spain, Germany, France, and Denmark through the early 20th century. More recently, the toy theater has experienced a subtle but vibrant revival at puppet festivals and dedicated events. But don't let the word toy distract you. Toy theater has always been attracted adult aficionados, including Robert Louis Stevenson and Pablo Picasso, while adult performers and audiences are the biggest proponents of the genre today. Commonly known as paper theater outside English-speaking circles, one might wonder if this term is a desirable alternative that relives any stigma associated with the word toy. Yet Victorian toys in England were a far cry from the mass-produced playthings of today featuring elegant, often handcrafted designs that bore the mark of artisanal excellence. Toy theaters also represented an important accessible foray into the world of theater arts for many youngsters, encouraging imaginative play using the voice and body. These roots can be regarded as a point of pride 
even if, like all art forms, the genre continues to evolve. If you'd like to read the entire article, please visit thetheatertimes.com. Again, the article is entitled, The Magic is in the Miniature, Toy Theater Thrives Online During Quarantine. Also from our friends at the Theater Times, VR, Theater and the Importance of Immersion, posted by Agnes Back from Poland and the Theater and Age. Wojciech Markowski is the producer of the Polish experimental lab Dream Adoption Society. Together with the director of the company, Krzysztof Garbaczewski, and other team members, they create performances that are taking place both in physical and virtual reality. Markowski graduated from Lodz Film School, and after that he was producing video art, documentaries, and commercial projects as well. Since 2005, he was doing many cooperation projects, notably with Sharon Lockhart, with whom he made several films and photography projects. And one of their last projects was selected to the Venice Biennial. He also gave a lecture at Hungary's first VR-focused event, Vector VR, about their work and how they connect performances, art, with VR. In our interview, we talked about how can VR and performance art intertwine and what are their working mechanics. If you'd like to visit and read the entire article and the interview, please visit, again, thetheatertimes.com. The article is entitled, VR, Theater and the Importance of Immersion. From the news and theater website, The Stage, Coronavirus, three more months of lockdown could end our careers, say 35% working in comedy. This article was written by Matthew Hemley. More than a third of people working in live comedy claim they would need to consider their future in the sector if the lockdown continues for another three months, according to a new poll. The survey was completed by 140 comedians, promoters, agents, and others involved in the live comedy sector. Participants included Live Nation, as well as individuals including Arthur Smith and Charmin Hughes. It was carried out by the Big Difference Company, which produces the Leicester Comedy Festival, and found that, collectively, participants felt they had lost £3 million in income at the time of asking. According to the survey, 29% of respondents say they could survive for six more months before they would have to consider their future in the sector, while 35% said they would have to consider their future if the situation went on for as little as three more months. More than half said they had not received any government support, with just 15% securing some financial support. More than a third of respondents said they would be able to return to work, even though the impact will be significant on their businesses. Of all 140 responses, 69% were comedians performers, 18% were promoters, and 4% were agents managers. The Leicester Comedy Festival, founding director Jeff Rowe said, As a sector, we don't have a professional membership association or anything similar. To speak on behalf of us all, this does make it very difficult for the government to contact us collectively or even view us as a significant sector. We know Leicester Comedy Festival has an economic impact of over £3 million each year. So if we combined the economic impact of the 140 businesses who have taken part in our survey, it would be massive. Hughes said she had been massively impacted by the current situation, including having international shows canceled mid-tour and losing all her UK gigs. But this also affects promoters, 
agencies, and venues. So while I think the sector will bounce back at some point, depending on how long social, social distancing will be kept in place, I do think the very nature of live comedy could change more than anyone has imagined, she added. From our friends at Playbill.com, the cast of Broadway's Sing Street to perform benefit concert from their homes around the world. This was produced by Olivia Clement. The live stream event will benefit the Mayor's Fund to Advance New York City and BCFA's COVID-19 Emergency Assistance Fund. The cast of the Broadway-bound Sing Street from their homes across the UK and the US will gather together online this month for a benefit concert benefiting the Mayor's Fund to Advance New York City and Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS COVID-19 Emergency Assistance Fund. Streaming live on Sing Street's Facebook April 30th, the concert will feature songs and scenes from the new musical. Sing Street Grounded, at home with the Broadway cast, will kick off at 6.30 p.m. and continue through 7 p.m. Eastern Time. The event will feature songs from the show like Up, Drive It Like You Stole It, Go Now, and Love and Stars, a new song written for the Broadway production. The concert will be available on demand May 4th at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Donations can be made via the Facebook donation button. Following a hit off-Broadway run at New York Theatre Workshop, Sing Street was set to make the move to Broadway's Lyceum Theatre for an April 19th opening. With Broadway temporarily shut in light of the coronavirus pandemic, new dates for the musical's transfer are yet to be announced. We want to help the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are putting themselves in harm's way so we can all stay safe in our homes, shared Sing Street Company members Brennock O'Connor, Zara Devlin, and Gus Halper in a joint statement. As we have our instruments and our voices, this is something we can do to help those who are on the front lines of this disaster. Based on John Carney's 2016 indie film and directed by Tony winner Rebecca Takeman, Sing Street explores the power of first love and music against the backdrop of 1980s Dublin. The musical features a new wave score from Carney and Gary Clark, a book by Tony winner Edna Walsh, and choreography by Sonia Taya. Reprising their performances on Broadway are company members O'Connor, Devlin, and Halper, along with Max Bartos, Brendan C. Callahan, Billy Carter, Joachim Hart, Martin Moran, Anne L. Nathan, Johnny Newcomb, Gian Perez, Sam Poon, Skylar Volpe, Amy Warren, Jan Eskenazi, and Anthony Genovese. Sing Street, grounded on a home with the Broadway cast, is created by the cast of Sing Street, with director Takeman and the support of Henry Alex Rubin, creative agency Draga 5, production company Smuggler, production stage manager Matt DiCarlo, music director Fred Lassen, and movement consultant Flannery Gregg, with special thanks to Patrick Daly, Alicia Park, Sony Music Masterworks, and 321 Theatrical Management. Also from our friends at Playbill, you can watch Drew Gasparini's virtual concert for We Aren't Kids Anymore. This was presented by Dan Meyer. The Playbill exclusive event found Lily Cooper, Raymond J. Lee, Bonnie Milligan, and Colton Ryan joining the composer to perform from his newly released song, Cycle. Drew Gasparini hosted a virtual concert of his new album, We Aren't Kids Anymore, exclusively for Playbill April 25th, featuring interviews with and performances from the LP's vocalists, Lily Cooper, Raymond J. Lee, Bonnie Milligan, and Colton Ryan. Viewers can watch the whole event by visiting Playbill.com. 
We aren't kids anymore. Explorers the realities of growing up all arenas of life. Career, family, love, and more. Released April 10th, the song cycle will eventually be available to license for amateur and professional theaters via the Concord Theatricals. The album features orchestrations and arrangements by Justin Goldner and Gasparini, Natalie Tenenbaum, Jake Goldboss, Gasparini, Jeff Countryman, and Goldner provide instrumentals. Goldner produces for Funky Butter Productions, along with Gasparini and Erica Rothstein. Bobby Theodore and Yana Shea serve as executive producers. Page 3. From our friends at What's On Stage, six musical releases worldwide performance from Isolation featuring casts from the West End, Broadway, and more. Six fans from across the globe joined the cast for a special performance in Isolation. Released online and organized by two of the show's stars, Grace Muat and Danielle Steers, the video features casts from the UK, Broadway, Australia, and more, as well as thousands of fans. Six is written by Marlo and Moss, with co-direction by Moss and Jamie Armitage. Choreography is by Carrie-Anne Ingrulier, set design by Emma Bailey, costume design by Gabrielle Slade, lighting design by Tim Delling, sound design by Paul Gatehouse, musical supervision by Joe Baton, and orchestrations by Tom Curran. The event is raising funds for a variety of charities, Acting for Others, The Actors Fund, and Support Act. You can check out the musical performance by visiting whatsonstage.com. From our friends at Scenography, one of the groups on Facebook, I wish you would go out and check out the wonderful posts that are being presented there. Currently, there is a lovely post by Matthias Wickert, who shared a post of the Teatro San Cassiano, titled The Birth of the Venetian Theater. It says, as we celebrate St. Mark's Day, this week we arrive in Venice four years earlier than the opening of Palladio's Teatro Olimpico. The Teatro Miguel a San Cassin and the Teatro Tron, both Venetian, 1581, are the first recorded purpose-built Venetian theaters and lead us to the commercial world of boxes and tiers. The Tron would burn down in 1629 and be really built as the San Cassiano, but its egg-shaped legacy can be seen in the model of the 1637 theater, taking our ancestry back to 1581. Sadly, we have no images and little documentation, documentation of these first theaters, but we do have Sansovina's historic note. Near the Chise di San Sassiano, there are two very beautiful theaters, one ovate or egg-shaped, and the other round, built at great expense for the city's traditional carnival commedia and able to hold large numbers of people. The Teatro Vecchio belonged to the Michiel family, and was set in a squarish plot of 20 by 21 meters, which presumably accounts for its round shape and probably closed in 1593. The Teatro Nuovo was owned by the Tron family. Its rectangular plot may have facilitated its more elongated form as seen in our model of 1637. Again, please check out Scenography, and you can see this wonderful post by Matthias Wickard. Also, Another shared post by Umberto De Nino, a film about the Palladio Olimpico project. It says here, 
It is a new initiative of the municipality of Vincenza to try to make the visit to the Olympic Theater Innovative Theater through a narrative model conceived by Alessandro Barizio and the Scuola Holden. You can watch this video by visiting either the Scenography group or I will post the link in the news and notes of this episode. Of course, another really fantastic post was again given by Sergi Arte. While his, his article is written in Spanish, here is a loose translation. Art Ant Norca from Cadiz, Andalusia, Spain. It's a puppet tradition over 200 years old. The latest research dates back to the year 1790 as, and is considered of Italian origin. Some sources mention a non-stable Cadetan company in the end of the century, probably the same as others relate to Italian puppeteers who recalled in Cadiz at the time. The oldest news from the Montenegro family dates back to 1819. In 1984, Carlos Aladro and the Municipal Culture Foundation of the City Council of Cadiz promoted a new company that, from the hand of former puppeteers, laid the foundations of the current puppet theater of La Ante Norica. Under what is today the Teatro de Puppets, La Ante Norica, nine meters deep from the solar of the ancient theater El Comique, Gadir has emerged. The origin of Cadiz is Phoenician, and that this Mediterranean town founded the colony they called Gadir to trade with the villages that, they, that then inhabited this area of southern Spain, especially with the kingdom of Tartissos. It is difficult to estimate which city was founded earlier in Europe western, but Cadiz is undoubtedly the one with older references, although tradition places the foundation of Cadiz 80 years after the Trojan War, over the century BC, most likely to occur in 11 BC. However, despite documentary references, deposits have, been, have never been found to verify the age of this urban core, and the remains found to date are the night of the century BC. If you'd like to read this wonderfully extensive article by Sergi Arte, please visit Scenography. Like the group and join. The history and information there is top-notch. Excellent job, guys. As I conclude tonight's podcast, I once again want to extend my gratitude to the members of our armed services, our healthcare workers, our nurses and doctors, our first responders, the police, fire, and emergency service officers. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Please join me in continuing to support these women and men as they face this near impossible task of saving lives in the face of such great adversity. Please support your local food banks and shelters. If possible, donate blood at one of your local Red Crosses. Be sure to check in on the elderly and support those who have special needs. Reach out to a friend and help not only make their day, but also improve your own. I'd like to close with a quote from Peter Brook. He said, the life of a play begins and ends at the moment of the performance. It is here that authors, actors, and directors express what they have to say. The play has a future, a chance to last, 
it can only reside in the memory of those who were present and who have kept a trace of it in their hearts. No form or interpretation is eternal. In theater, a form must be fixed for a short time. Then it must pass. As the world changes, there will always be, and must always be, new and totally unpredictable performances. My name is Richard Bryant, and I have been your host. It's April 26, 2020. This has been the Corona Chronicles, Day 45. Take care, be well, and have a good night. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions on how to make this podcast better, please send them to archivett24 at yahoo.com. Again, that's archivett24 at yahoo.com.